Hi there and welcome. Now it's time for America's favorite podcast. Leave your mark with your host, Vince Cortez. If it's fly, loose fit it. It's Cortez. If freeze and chubbies in it. It's Cortez. Leave your mark. It's about inspiring the world. One guess at a time. Pass the word from Brooklyn to Pittsburgh, from urban to suburb. It's Cortez, you heard? And here is our host, Vince Cortez. Today's guest on Leave Your Mark is Ron Rossetti. He's the American dream. He has experience on all levels, professional, corporate, and entrepreneurial. He's a graduate at Robert Morris College for trivia purposes, born on Pittsburgh World Series winning home run by Bill Mazeroski in Game 7. He's been a sales manager, a youth pastor, working with John Guest Evangelist team, and he's worked with Troyal Farms in the Southern Region, married for 36 years to his beautiful wife, Marcy, five children, and four four grandchildren. Then finally, he arrives as the entrepreneur, brand owner, and founder of Peace, Love, and Little Donuts. If you have a story to share, tell us, how are you going to leave your mark? Thank you for coming today, Ron. I'm very excited to hear the details of your journey. Thanks, Vince. Man, this is exciting. You, you got a lot of action. Your resume reads heavy. I couldn't do the whole thing because it might have taken up half the episode. So your work experience is grand. It's all um, lies. We, I just, <laughs> well, what I want to do is take me from the part of when you started Peace, Love, and Little Donuts. What was the motivation and what was going through your mind when you made the decision to get into that? Well, my wife and I were in a real desperate financial situation. The 2008-2009 collapse of the market wasn't directly affecting us, but we got caught in the gears of it all. And we knew we were going to need to make some big changes or else we were going to have some dire financial results. And so those financial results started to happen and we were doing what any, I guess, family with five kids who are trying to get into college and trying to keep the lights on in your house, we're doing what anybody would do and we're just trying to find every possible source of income. And we started doing some concession work where we were making food at some big events because it was relatively low risk and it was you had a really opportunity to walk away with immediate revenue, which was helpful as opposed to some invoice that you might get paid in 30 days or 60 days. And so we needed that in order to try and keep the lights on. And we started making donuts and uh, turns out people loved our donuts. They were asking where our store was and we were set up, you know, kind of at a big, big festival. And I had to tell people, you're standing in my store. I don't have a store. This is the only, <laughs> this is the only place in the earth you could get these donuts. But it started me to thinking that maybe we should have a location. And that's where the true beginning happened in and about June of 2009. Connect with us on LinkedIn. Be our friend on Facebook. Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You are listening to listening to Vince Cortez. We just want you to leave your mark. I remember you sharing with me how you came across the equipment to make these donuts. And I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, I had a friend who was in the concession business and I had helped him with popcorn years ago because I used to have a popcorn factory. And he had some equipment that he had to get moved because he was renting some lady's double garage and she wanted his crap out of there. So <laughs> his, his motivation to call me was to help gets this stuff out of there. And he said, are you interested in this piece of donut uh, making equipment? And I said, ah, you know, probably not. 
and uh, what's wrong with it? And he said, I think something's broken on it, but I'll make you a heck of a deal. And at the time, we weren't hurting for money. So I bought that donut maker in 2008. And I'm glad I had it because we fell back hard on it when things went wrong. And it turns out it came with a second piece of equipment I didn't know he was selling me. Because when I loaded up the donut maker and put it in my truck, he said, uh, you got to take this other thing. I go, there's no other thing. I mean, this is the whole thing. He said, no, 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 there's this really big thing. You got to take it because that's in my way. I got to get it out of this garage. So we went and looked at it. It turns out it was this big fire suppression cart that allowed us to make donuts indoors. Up until then, we were only permitted to make donuts outside. And so it had never occurred to me to make donuts indoors because of the requirements of the health department and zoning and fire department. So we never even attempted to do that until... He made me load up that piece of equipment. I didn't even know if it worked. Turned out it had never been used. It was brand new. It was easily a $5,000 piece of equipment that I got for nothing. So now you got this piece of equipment. You can make these donuts indoors. When did your first shop become real? August 8, 2009. You had mentioned like you were doing the donuts outside. What were you doing in those locations besides festivals? How did you develop the cash base to turn into opening up your own store? Well, we were doing everything that, that they'll let you do. You know, you don't get to go into a, a situation like that and dictate anything. You go in there and every other vendor that's ever worked there gets dibs on whatever food product that they want. They don't let somebody come in there and do something someone else is doing. So if you wanted to do hamburgers, you can't because someone else has been doing hamburgers for 20 years. If you wanted to do sausage, can't. If you want to do barbecue, can't. So there was really nothing left except donuts. And I think that year was one of the first years we did corn on the cob. It was the year of the swine flu. So they let us do pork sandwiches, which you had to pay people to take a pork sandwich because they thought you were trying to kill them. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, no one understood that swine flu didn't have anything to do with pork, but you know, welcome to America. And then that's how we actually made some money at those events. And that's how, along with my wife letting me sell her car, that's how we were able to open the shop. This is good. I like, this is the meat and potatoes part of the entrepreneurial journey, the sacrifice and the emotional turmoil that comes with all that. You are listening to Leave Your Mark with your host, Vince Cortez. Leave Your Mark, inspiring the world, one guess at a time. So this first shop is in the Strip District? Yeah, down, about a mile from downtown Pittsburgh. So this store obviously does well because you begin to grow. So what happens, you know, as you move through, say, that first calendar year of being down at Smallman Street? It wasn't an overnight success. I know that, of course, people might think that way because they go, gosh, you know, in 11 years, this is what's happened. But we had total revenue in 2009. Total sales all combined was 44000 So just to let people know about how business works, that is not a business. That's a hobby. Because if you've got employees and you pay rent and you have some cost of goods sold, $44,000 is no, in no way making money. The following 12 calendar months after that, which is our first sort of full year in business in 2010, we had total revenue of $140,000. Now, granted, that sounds like a great amount of money, but if I had a store right now that was only doing $140,000 in revenue, I'd close it because I know it's not making any money. There's just too many costs involved. 
you probably make a few dollars on the side as a part-time job if you wanted to work there yourself and that's all you wanted to do. And I did work there myself. We lost money until 2011, 12. 2011, I think we did about 180 some thousand and 2012, I think we broke just over $200,000 in revenue. And that all is headed in the right direction, but that's just the beginning of making a profit. So, 36 months in and you're really at the threshold of break even. You're budding business now. Correct. And if I had taken out loans and borrowed money, I don't think it would have taken me two more years. I mean, that's typical. Three years to five years to break even is absolutely typical on a business. Um, But the good news is we were sort of cash flow positive from day one. I mean, we were paying all of our bills out of the drawer because we didn't have any place to borrow money or get money. This is incredible. So now you're in the position where the business is flourishing. When did you open up a second store? I didn't open up a personal second store until 2014. In very last month, actually, 2014. What happened was people started coming into the shop and they started asking me if this was a franchise. And at first, I was kind of generally put off by that question because I thought, what about this looks like a franchise? Everything we're doing is absolutely innovative and unique to us. We didn't copy anybody. We never went around and saw what other donut shops were doing. We created a category we are in. And that's actually been now verified and archived by some historians who created books about what has happened to the donut business. And we're credited in that book as having been um, pioneers in what we've done. But set that aside for a minute, I can tell you that there was no booklet on what we were doing. We were creating this out of whole cloth as we went. And so, as we continued to get better and better at what we did, people would ask us about it being a franchise. And finally, I was patient enough to ask them what they meant by that. And what they were really saying was, can we open a piece, Love and Little Donuts? And that was kind of the breakthrough in that our understanding was like, wow, this is apparently interesting enough for other people to want to invest in it. And that started right around 2012. Wow. So now at this point, you understand that you have something bigger than just yourself. People are interested in having one of these shops themselves with no roadmap. It's like, you know, how do you plan on setting somebody up as a franchisee? I mean, you have a lot of experience, both corporate you were entrepreneurial on other fronts prior to this. You were savvy enough with your experience to have an idea what direction to go with this. But I mean, still with no roadmap, so to speak, that's probably as big as your initial leap of starting the business itself. We caught a couple of really fortunate blessing breaks uh, along the way. We got connected to a former attorney for General Nutrition who had been in their franchise division. And he got connected to us and made us becoming a franchisor affordable. Otherwise, I mean, the numbers that were being tossed around to me on what it would take to pay for the compliance necessary to become an official franchisor, which is very expensive if you go the most advertised ways, would have been over a hundred grand. We just didn't have that kind of capital to throw at this. This fella came to us and he was kind of semi-retiring, shifting gears, And he'd forgotten more about franchising than most guys would ever know because he'd worked for a global juggernaut like General Nutrition Corporation here in Pittsburgh. And as a result, it was like falling out of bed for him to help us. Now, you touched on that a couple of times, and I always enjoy having a conversation with you on a spiritual level. And 
when you're an entrepreneur, you're on a bit of a tightrope without a net. And when you have a spiritual foundation that you and Marcy had, how much did that weigh in on moving forward? Because, I mean, your confidence builds, but your faith deepens at the same time. So yours is an interesting story how this begins to flourish on another level. So it's hard for me to sometimes categorically refer to that because I've been walking with Jesus since 1981, and my family never would darken the door of a church. So it wasn't like we were cultural Christians who went on Christmas and Easter and gave thanks before a meal. That never happened in our family. And in fact, there was disdain toward anybody who would refer to themselves as a Christian because my family thought that was a crutch, that you were declaring yourself to be unfit for living life on your own terms. If you had to have some faith, if you had to believe that there was a God Easter bunny kind of person in the universe who was looking out for you and helping you. So I I never really understood why they didn't have any connection to that. But since our family wasn't connected to it, when I came to know Jesus in 81, it radically changed everything about me. It changed me from the center of my soul. And that change kept working its way out into all the areas of my life. And that that's continued. And for those people of faith who understand what I'm talking about, they also understand that it's a decision that once you invite the Holy Spirit to come into your life, you can't kick the Holy Spirit out. The Holy Spirit's going to keep working on yeah. you oh, despite, yeah. despite your, uh, let's say, approval of that process. Uh-huh. So all that's going on, and every time you face adversity, you deal with it on both fronts. You deal with it in your flesh because you think about it and you worry about it. You try and figure out how to fix it. And then underneath it all is the Holy Spirit working to try and remind you that you have another nature now. And that other nature gives you instruction, direction, and informs your opinion so that you have instincts that might survive in areas where without that wisdom, you wouldn't survive. So that's what I think was going on is underneath it all, I was being, it was kind of like somebody whispering the answers to you. So we look like we're really, really smart, but really we were being whispered the answers at the 11th hour in most situations. That's exciting. That's very exciting because that's better than a safety net. So now your faith is in full bloom. Your business is working. I mean, we're in 2020. I mean, in this six-year window that happened then from 2014 till now, you have, what, 35 stores? Yeah, we had 41 and then COVID hit. So we're down to 35. Okay. So you lost a few that COVID kind of put a whack on you. Correct. Now, does this gentleman that worked with the general nutrition, does he continue or did he provide a model for you where you begin to develop these? So you're primarily in the northeastern part of the country, Pennsylvania. How far south down do you go? We're in Florida. Oh, wow. So we've got a store in Naples, Florida. We're as far west as Medford, Oregon. We're as far north as Traverse City, Michigan. And we're as far east as uh, Stone Harbor, New Jersey, which is right on the coast. So we have the whole United States surrounded. And there's a whole lot of space in there for us filling it in. If you are listening from Australia, Florida, or just from around the corner. From East Coast to West Coast outlets, if you're not into the dirty South straight, make a left body body. Contact us. Leave your mark with your host, Vince Cortez. Now, this is exciting. So where do you see happening like this point? What would you like to see happen with Peace, Love, and Little Donuts? 
Well, I, I have five adult children and four grandkids, and I think one, only one of my kids, the oldest one, is involved in the business. So I'd love for them all, including their spouses, if at all possible, if that makes sense, to get involved in the business somehow. So I would love to see that happen. They're really bright. The kids are very bright. Their mother did a fabulous job raising them. And most of them have education upon education. So I think they're successful in their own right, but I'd love for them to come work in the family business if that is ever uh, something they want to do. That's very exciting. That's a bit all a matter of what's in them. I mean, when you're entrepreneurial like yourself, it's just something that's inside of you. And it's like a calling and you just have to respond to it. In your case, it has. So let me ask you, what are some of the things that you're going to be doing with Peace, Love and Little Donuts? I think you mentioned that we're going to possibly do a podcast or a YouTube channel or something like that. I like your icons of the donut dude and you're bringing on sister golden hair you're having a storyline that's getting deeper now and it's going to create a greater interest so i think that you have a backstory there where duncan donut showed up in town in oakland and was trying to give you some competition and i thought that was remarkable that they decided to uh, kind of get off your trail and that spoke mounds of the strength of your franchise and the strength of the future of it. So what do you have in mind as far as the image of the donut shop now? I think we can continue to make uh, small improvements on the predictable quality of our service, which has been very good, but we can get better. There's great leadership out there in other quick service restaurants in our industry, like Chick-fil-A and others who are tremendously effective at setting the bar very high for that stuff. So I love I love acknowledging when, you know, we can't, we really can't carry these folks jocks because they're just monsters in the business. And so we've got a lot to learn. I think we can grow both domestically and we've got some international interest, if you can believe that. Yeah. Uh, I see in the next uh, three to five years, we'll probably break 150 stores. And then if the international thing goes, it'll probably be pushed to 200. Wow. And that will give us kind of a little bit of momentum, you know, just like a snowball rolling downhill. It gives us some momentum, gives us some capital to begin to attract folks who, let's say, are excited about working with a new brand, an emerging brand like ours, but they've maybe cut their teeth with a brand that didn't let them do anything exciting. So we're doing a lot of exciting things. You mentioned the Donut Dude, Sister Golden Hair, and Disco the Dog. I mean, we're going to begin to do a lot of kids club activities, both through our app and on our online website. We'll also have coloring pages and things that kids can download, but we'll have a birthday club. We've got a pretty vibrant business in selling just what would be the merchandise that's wrapped around our brand, like our t-shirts and coffee mugs, hoodies, and hats. It's shocking to think about how much we actually merchandise that stuff, considering how horrible we are at it and how it's almost always, if not an afterthought, it's a, <laughs> it's an embarrassing last minute thought about, oh, where, where are we going to put that stuff? So <laughs> eventually we're going to get better at it and we're going to put somebody in charge of it who knows what they're doing. And I think we're going to break into some new territory. And then we have a brand that we've got a number of valuable trademarks and trade dress but we're going to break one of our trademarks off into its own lifestyle brand. And it's the uh, phrase, feed your inner hippie. And we're going to really go after a lot of lifestyle goods, t-shirts, apparel, covers for your Jeep spare tire, 
every kind of thing you can think of, and we're going to put our logos and our artwork and that trademark on there. Feed your I, inner hippie. I think this is soon to be an international brand. It's <laughs> it has that feeling to it when you say the name and a good vibe. It's got a good Christian background and ownership, and your mind and your heart is in the right place. And this has only got an upside to it. And anything that brings in something of quality to children in a respectable, moral way, it's to be commended. I really like what you're doing. I love being your friend. What we're going to do here, I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man. And I ask this of all the guests, what would you like to leave your mark as? What would you like to be remembered as? I would like to be remembered as someone who is exceedingly generous. I know that I try not to let people know about that. But if I think if I'm consistent at it and I'm humble about it, I would think on my tombstone, that's what I'd like somebody to put there, is that this man was exceedingly generous. I think that's a hallmark of someone who understands how much they've been given. And there's a great Bible verse that says, to whom much is given, much is required. I identify with that undeniably, that that's where I'd like to leave my mark. I would like to be a person who embodied that Bible verse. I love it. Thanks for coming by today, Ron. Hey, I love what you're doing. Congratulations on your podcast, man. It's awesome. Thank you. This has just been a great platform to get people like yourself on here and let people out in the general public know that these types of stories exist. And if they have it in them, they can have it too. So you're an inspiration. Thanks, Vince. Talk to you, buddy. Thank you so much. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Leave Your Mark today. Tune into our next episode of Leave Your Mark with Vince Cortez. Be blessed. You just left your mark. Thanks for listening. listening. Listen to more episodes on demand. Just click Leave Your Mark with Vince Cortez.